Welcome to the Sugar Freedom Show. I'm Katherine Gordon, your host. Today's episode, Is Sugar Addiction Real? And if it is real, what can you do about it? You may be familiar with the DSM-5. That is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition. And yes, if sugar addiction is real, then it would qualify, classify, as a mental disorder. Well, I actually believe that I have sugar addiction, and I've been living with it for decades, and even though I do have sugar addiction, I'm still a fully functional human being in today's society, so that is the good news. More good news is that the DSM-5 has 11 criteria for substance use disorders. And if you believe that you are addicted to sugar or addicted to food or certain foods, you can go through these 11 criteria and make that decision for yourself. If you do decide that you have a substance use disorder connected to food or sugar, then you can either seek help, you can seek therapy, or you could contact a chapter of Overeaters Anonymous or even Food Addicts Anonymous. So there is help There are solutions, but the first step is acceptance. I want to tell you a little story. We adopted a kitten a few weeks ago, a little black kitten with a little bit of white on her throat and on her tummy. And the other day, she knocked over a dish of little treasures that I have, and out of that dish fell a little blue stone. And on the stone had been written the word acceptance. And that's one of the reasons I was inspired to go ahead and make this episode, because the first step toward dealing with any kind of substance use disorder is acceptance that that disorder actually exists. So I hope that you will find this episode helpful today, because we're going to go through those 11 criteria, and then you can make the decision. And then if you wish to, you can move on from there in seeking help. Substance use disorders span a wide variety of problems arising from substance use and cover 11 different criteria. Number one, taking the substance in larger amounts or for longer than you're meant to. Certainly when we talk about eating and overeating the substance is food or sugar, if you're eating more of it, if you're spending more time eating it, then this is an issue. Number two, wanting to cut down or stop using the substance, but not managing to. Certainly in my experience, I was overweight for decades. I was obese for seven years. And during that entire time, I was doing everything I could to restrict and limit my eating through counting calories. Number three, spending a lot of time getting, using, or recovering from use of the substance. One of the things that I noted when I was actively in my sugar and food addiction is very often I had two different meals at every meal. It would be the meal that other people saw me eat, my family, my roommates, my husband, my son, and then there would be the other meals that I would eat in secret. So spending a lot of time getting and using food, half of the time my public eating, and then the other half of the time my secret eating. Number four, cravings and urges to use the substance. Oh my goodness, if you're addicted to sugar or you're addicted to carbohydrates or you are a food addict, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. This mental obsession, even right after a meal or between meals or knowing you're going to eat soon, but still having this unbearable feeling that you cannot be at peace or in comfort unless you are actively consuming food. Number five, not managing to do what you should at work home or school because of substance use. 
We live in a society that values slimness and certainly that values health. And even beyond slimness, it got to the point where one of my most important stories is that when I was 40 years old, I was trying to get back into choreography. I felt I was too heavy to dance, so I decided to choreograph. And I tried to teach a grand jeté to one of the dancers I was working with. I came down wrong and I broke my foot in four places. And I absolutely know I was obese at the time when I was trying to choreograph that dance. And I know it affected my balance. It affected the way I came down. And I definitely got injured because of that. Number six, continuing to use, even when it causes problems in relationships. For me, one of the most powerful examples of continuing to use, even when it causes problems in relationships, actually there's two. Number one, I used to steal food from my roommates, which was incredibly humiliating when they would catch me. And then number two, I used to get really, really angry at my husband when he wouldn't be ready to sit down to dinner when I was ready. I mean, I used to feel this almost a kind of rage at him. Would you please just sit down so that we can start eating? And so definitely this is not appropriate. These these really strong emotions at someone else because of my belief that he was preventing me from consuming the food that I needed to consume. So when I look at stealing from my roommates and just being so angry at anyone who was slowing me down from eating, I know that it was causing problems in my relationships. Number seven, giving up important social, occupational, or recreational activities because of substance use. This is so true. It may be that it was the the physical overweight that was caused by my overeating that was causing me to give up these social or recreational activities. But if we want to talk in a more immediate and more specific way, for example, if I was invited to some kind of party, whether it was in there was going to be a buffet there or whether it was going to be a lot of food there, there would be times when I would literally be frightened that I would get into that situation and that I would literally humiliate or embarrass myself by being the person standing at the snack table and being unable to stop consuming sweets and treats and savories once I had started. So this fear of shame and embarrassment in important social and occupational activities because I was afraid I would humiliate myself. Number eight, using substances again and again, even when it puts you in danger specifically with food and when I would get into these big, big eating episodes where I would start with something that I could maybe call healthy like bananas and grapes and then it would move on to toast and then ice cream and then waffles and then just really obnoxious, almost obscene amounts of food, painful amounts of food to the point where my heart would be pounding, my stomach would be aching. I literally would be eating to the point of pain but still chasing that high, chasing that euphoria and continuing to just shovel the food in. So definitely I experienced that using substances again and again, even when it puts you in danger. Number nine, continuing to use even when you know you have a physical or psychological problem that could have been caused or made worse by the substance. We are discovering so many connections between sugar and carbohydrate addiction and mental issues and disorders. Overeating and obesity, these cause inflammation and inflammation can lead to insulin resistance and all of the cascading effects of metabolic syndrome. Every year we learn more about how overeating leading to overweight and obesity actually can 
result in health and mental disorders that we never expected, even beyond the consequences of obesity and even beyond the consequences of health effects like type 2 diabetes. Number 10, needing more of the substance to get the effect you want. Tolerance. This is one of the areas where a number of medical doctors and researchers, they have tried to argue that sugar addictions and food addictions are not legitimate addictions because they don't cause tolerance, especially because food is necessary for the body. But the truth is, is that I and many of the people I have worked with and talked to and in a number of the books I have read, we see stories of people needing more and more of the substance to get the same effect, which is the definition of tolerance. And one of the best examples is back when I first started to use sugar and food to ease my pain and to ease my emotional distress, it might just take one or two servings of a particular item to help me get relief. Certainly in the last couple of years, as my addiction became incredibly severe and as I finally went and sought help and dealt with it by eliminating all sugar, all grains, and all vegetable and seed oils, it had gotten to the point where I could not get that sense of euphoria. I couldn't get the the mean voice in my head to stop until I had eaten so much that I was in this kind of this kind of stupor and I would literally go eat 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 and eat get into this euphoric stupor and then go sleep it off and then have to deal with the results the next morning. And then 11 development of withdrawal symptoms, which can be relieved by taking more of the substance. This is another area where where doctors and researchers have said, no, 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 you don't have withdrawal. You simply have hunger. Hunger is not withdrawal, which can be relieved by taking more of the substance. And the idea is, no, we're not going to allow you the, the privilege of calling food addiction and addiction, or sugar addiction and addiction. I call it a privilege because if you can call it an addiction, it is a medical disorder, and then you have every right to seek help. And certainly, even if it wasn't called a medical disorder, you still have a right to seek help. But there is this sense among those of us who have been overweight and obese is that it is 100% a moral failing, it's a lack of willpower, and it is a character weakness. We're just weak people, we like pleasure too much, and that it really is all our fault. And if we could just buck up and fly right, and choose the right foods, and do the right things, and eat things in the right amounts, that we would be fine. The development of withdrawal symptoms, which can be relieved by taking more of the substance, is a reality that I have experienced. And it's that next morning, the headache, the pounding heart, the, the anxiety, for me, joint pain. And then of course, that time when you're trying to get off of the sugar and off of the starches and carbohydrates, that during that time, and for me, very often, it was about three days where you're just simply miserable. You can feel nausea, you have headaches, you have no energy. And then if you do break down and if you reach for that sugary, starchy sub- substance, then immediately you feel this relief and you do feel like you can move on. Although very often it would just simply lead to another overeating episode. So number 11 is incredibly important because this understanding of the development of withdrawal symptoms, which are relieved by taking more of the substance. And this also leads me directly into the concept of if the sugar addiction is real, if the food addiction is real, what do you do about it? And in my case, and in the case of the people who've read Sugar Freedom and who have read Keep the Change, Transform Your Body for Good, The question is, how do I get off of sugar and how do I get off of carbs? And the answer is to eat something else. And so the answer is to eat the foods that don't trigger you into overeating. 
And for me, that is all of the different, all of the different animal proteins, beef, chicken, fish, pork, eggs, poultry, all of those. And then also the vegetables that grow above the ground, all of the leafy vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, all of these vegetables that grow above the ground and some below the ground. I do well with things like radishes. I can eat onions and garlic. I can sometimes eat carrots, but it is, I like to say, eat for yourself, eat for yourself. Discover and think about the foods that in general, you can simply sit down and eat a few, you get satisfied, and then you go on with your life. And then the other side of that coin is to really be honest, accept that there are foods that you may not be able to consume in normal amounts. And that's really a wonderful way to assess what I call your freedom foods. If you think of any food, I'll give you a great example. I eat bacon. And a lot of times people consider bacon to be a naughty food, an unhealthy food, a pleasure food, an indulgence. Two slices of bacon, that's all I need. I really don't need to eat anymore. And I don't have to eat anymore. If I have couple of eggs, a couple of slices of bacon, and I, maybe I have, you know, a side of, a nice side of, you know, squash with some salsa on the side. I really don't need to eat more bacon. But what's really, really weird is if I had a piece of buttered toast, buttered toast of all things. I mean, if you take buttered toast, breakfast food, and you take bacon, breakfast, breakfast food, which one of these is considered more indulgent? Bacon is but I've got no problem with two slices of bacon, but I definitely have a problem with one slice of toast, especially if you put jelly on it. I mean, just if you think about the toast that comes in a diner with that little packet of jelly, not very exciting, is it? But believe me, if I took that piece of toast and I put jelly on it, I would be off to the races. So this is the understanding that very often what we think of as indulgent foods, they might not be your trigger foods. They might not be the foods that you overeat. Where are there? There are some very simple standard foods like a nice slice of whole wheat bread with margarine on it, which could absolutely 100% be an off to the races, I'm going to eat everything in sight trigger food for you. So what I want you to find on this show if you're an overeater, if you've ever been obese, is compassion and understanding so that you can realize that although you have to make decisions, acceptance, you have to decide what you're going to eat, you're going to have to go to the store and shop, and you're going to have to buy and prepare the foods that work for you. And so these do take a certain amount of character and a certain amount of discipline. It isn't that you are a bad person and it's not a lack of character or moral fiber that leads to the addiction in the first place. In my case, there were a number of events in my childhood, the early death of a parent. I had a really bad accident when I was in first grade. I was hit by a car. Very often what we see is emotional injury, infection, traumatic experiences. These often lead to the pain and they lead to what we call this hole, this empty space that then needs to be filled by food. So a number of things did happen when I was very young that I do believe set me up for this addiction. Also, I had eczema when I was a little kid, and now we're going back and we're realizing that there may be some connection to glucose intolerance and getting eczema. So it might have been that very, very, very early on when I had no control over what I was eating that I was already set up for insulin resistance and some of the issues that come from that physical reality. 
I do hope this has been helpful today. I know that seeing these criteria, learning about these criteria gave me such a sense of relief and such a sense of empowerment so that I could go and take steps to make my life better. I want to leave you with a book recommendation and it is Sugar Junkies and that is by Vera Tarman, MD. And the second edition came out fairly recently. I have it on Audible. I listened to the audiobook. You can also get the hardcover or get it on your Kindle or your e-reader. Incredibly helpful. This is a medical doctor who has experienced sugar and food addiction herself, talking about the different steps that she and her patients have taken over the years. Because I think you already know this if you listen to this podcast, but I am so grateful to all of the medical doctors, the researchers, and practitioners in the profession who have had the courage to step up and say, yes, sugar and food addictions are real and have staked their professional reputations, put them on the line to help all of us out here at lay people in the real world who are trying to find a way to navigate eating and food in this very, very tempting food environment. Be well, everybody. Go out there and do good things and come back here again next week for another edition of the Sugar Freedom Show.